Hi everyone, welcome to Prevent, Resist, Support. Prevent, Resist, Support is a podcast by the Sexual Misconduct Response and Prevention Office at the University of Windsor. I'm Ann Rudzinski, the Sexual Wellness and Consent Coordinator for the office and the host for this podcast. Today, we have a really exciting episode. Our guest is Siobhan Richardson. Siobhan is an actor, a fight director, and an intimacy director. She's located in Toronto, Ontario, and works with the University of Windsor to develop the intimacy workshops for students in the School of Dramatic Art. Intimacy directing is super interesting. It's an application of consent to dramatic arts work. I got to sit in on one of Siobhan's workshops about a year or two years ago, and it was absolutely fascinating. I love chatting with Siobhan. In fact, we talked so much that this is going to be a two-part episode. If you need support and you're a member of the U Windsor campus community, you can talk to Dusty. Right now, the best way to get in touch is by email at svsupport at uwindsor.ca. We also have a list of resources on our website. Uh, there's a whole bunch of resources for the campus and the community. You can find that at uwindsor.ca slash sexual assault. If you're not in Windsor, check out the Coalition of Rape Crisis Centers. Their website is sexualassaultsupport.ca. Let's dive into our interview. Welcome, Siobhan. We're so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to chat about the work that you do and for you to tell our students and our listeners a little bit about your work with intimacy directing. So you're currently in Toronto and you work as an intimacy director, but you also work in acting and fighting. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing? For sure. Yeah. Uh, Before we start, I want to acknowledge that I am uh, in the traditional and treaty lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabek, the Mississaugas of the the Credit First Nation and the Mississaugas, which is colonially known as Toronto slash Etobicoke. I'm like a little bit on the west side, uh, which is kind of fun for me because yes, I'm, I'm kind of based here, but I've been very lucky to do a lot of work around the province um and strangely like a lot of work sort of on the west side so moving to Etobicoke from downtown was was a good move um but yeah thank you for asking about the other stuff I do like a lot of people know me as an intimacy director uh, but I'm an actor fighter singer dancer like I'm a performer first and that's actually how I got into intimacy directing um and I'm also a fight director which is my other like my other thing, my my uh, my handle is fighter actress. That's how you'll find me on social media because it's like it's really very much a part of me. The idea of the idea of movement and expression, and like how I got into intimacy directing was I was in a show, and long story short, I figured out that I wanted tools for approaching scenes of intimacy because I realized I didn't have them, um, and I've found that having. Uh, dual, I guess, triple specialties now, um, all of the work informs, they all inform each other. And I feel like it's given me the opportunity to uh, be uncomfortable in a lot of good ways and to uh, support my growth and allow me to discover things that I, I wouldn't have known or done if I hadn't given myself the opportunity to explore all of the stuff that's exciting for me. 
I love that you mentioned comfort and discomfort because that's definitely in our questions coming up. I love the conversation we had about that last week. So I'm definitely excited to chat about that with you today. So let's start right at the top. What is intimacy and how would you define intimacy in relation to your work? Okay. So there's a couple of different aspects. So when I get hired as an intimacy director, uh, it's often for sex, for kissing, um, anything of implied genital contact, uh, implied acts of a sexual nature in performance. The things that people don't think about that I can be brought into choreograph are flirting, uh, definitely physical contact between an adult and a minor. So that might be hugging, that might be a parent or guardian and child. These are two actors who are maybe 10 and 40 and they've never met each other before, but now they're meant to have uh, a familial intimacy. Um, or any other instances where an actor feels that additional considerations required regarding, let's say, I don't know, issues of consent, power dynamics, something where a essentially a third party negotiator or mediator might be helpful to work in the the sort of uh, uh, the work context, the establishing the parameters of our work, which will then help us to clarify how, how we make art together. So in some ways, the intimacy director is uh, is that third-party negotiator. Uh, in a lot of ways, they are a creative collaborator because once we've established those parameters that we can work in, then it's taking a look at how do we craft this scene? How do we engage together and, and make art together? Um, oh, intimacy director and a fight director are necessary. I mean, I, I could be soft about it and say are strongly recommended, but really it's best to have someone who either covers both of those roles or two individuals who cover those roles uh, whenever it's uh, violent intimacy of any kind, whether that's consensual like kinky sex or whether it's uh, violent as in there's a crime being committed. So uh, yeah. Um, what else? Oh, I've lost, I think I've lost my train of thought. Oh, that's okay. Um, I love that we're getting into the language of like mandatory because I'm all about mm -hmm. the language of you just have to do this thing for it to be comfortable and like okay for people. Yeah. Or not comfortable, but for <laughs> it to be okay for people. Right. New words. Um, yes. Oh, so actually something else I want to mention about what is intimacy. So when we're looking at so that's what I do in the workplace usually. When we are in an educational sphere, there's a few things like, so when we're in the workplace together, there's several things that one assumes an actor has picked up through their educational experience. So it's important for us in the educational experience to look at what are those things that people will assume that you have figured out or have learned. And that's a lot of the sort of the first stages of intimacy. Some of that uh, negotiating what is in my my green zone as it were. What is the stuff that I am totally comfortable with? What is the stuff that I need a little bit more support and negotiation with? How do I be vulnerable with a scene partner? How do I how do I act flirting? How do I act being in love? A lot of those things people will assume that people have learned within the educational experience. Um, rightly or wrongly, but that, that's sort of, sort of the, the work context we often find ourselves in. So I, I guess part of saying that is to remind, uh, remind directors and engagers that people haven't necessarily learned the skills and remind educators and students that that, that is part of something that you have the opportunity to engage in mind, mindfully um, and hopefully to give enough time to, uh, ideally to give enough time to within the educational experience because it could be said that uh, a lot of people say drama is conflict, uh, but I would say that drama is also intimacy. So these two fields I have discovered in my own work um, 
are really the two foundations of the work that we do. And it could also be said that like stage combat and violence is really just the result of like a vulnerability in a different way. Um, so intimacy and violence are vulnerability expressed in different fashions for us um, in front of us during entertainment or during storytelling. Anyway, as we <laughs> as we get slightly philosophical around what is intimacy and um, when it's important for an actor to uh, engage in the learning of a skill set, and of course that that learning will continue throughout your professional career, but it's important for us during education to um, help us all get on the same page as to how do we support ourselves in. Uh, approaching that scene work and approaching that, those topics and gaining the um, the emotional intelligence for that. Amazing. And then on the note of language, when we were you know talking about this today, I was using the term intimacy coaching and intimacy directing, and they I kind of thought maybe they were like interchangeable. They're not. Can you tell us about the term intimacy directing, intimacy coordinating, intimacy coaching? What do those roles entail? Great. Yeah. So intimacy directing is for live performance. So theater, uh, opera, dance, circus, those are some examples. And intimacy coordinating is for recorded media. So television, film, motion capture, performance capture. Um, and they're originally our thought behind distinguishing them separately is it helped to equate intimacy that the practice of intimacy, um, in its sort of proper echelon as parallel to fight directing, as parallel to stunt coordinating. It takes a similar amount of training, similar amount of uh, skill set, a similar kind of skill set, uh, a similar necessity of good relationships with the people you're working with. Um, but I have found in the practice of it too, it's important to differentiate recorded from live because the responsibilities of the coordinator or director are a little bit different, like the the workplace of those different media are is a little bit different and therefore how a director or coordinator works within those media is a little bit different so like the paperwork is a bit different and the cultures of the workplace is a little bit different now coaching um and before i go on it's important to notice that different countries are using different terminologies like some places they use choreographer all the time and there's no um, there's no differentiation between directing or coordinating. Whereas in some cultures, if you say choreographer, it it kind of denotes a lesser level of education, I mean, rightly or wrongly, but that's sort of the um, the echelons that have been set up. Um, but I see coaching in my work as like part of what I do in the full set of being an intimacy director. Uh, but I think coaching also covers a slightly different area of the field. So to me, coaching is a little bit more about the one-to-one -one relationship with the actor. It may be about the actual, kind of like an acting coach would come in and maybe support the actor in, are you cool with the choices that you're making? Here are some offers for some movement, some breath choices. And I would also equate intimacy coaching a little bit more with what I do in education, where we are looking at those first levels of how do I access intimacy safely? How do I support myself in uh, being uncomfortable and learning new things? So the coaching part is a little bit more of that. Mm, we have like if we just think about the term coach, like a sports coach. Um, so kind of like that Sherpa helping you through 
the uh, the mountains of your of your psyche while you're learning this stuff. Yeah, and you also come in and work with our School of Dramatic Art and provide these workshops for our students about intimacy in dramatic arts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, it's one of one of my favorite parts of the job. I have a lot of favorite parts of this job, um, but it's one of my favorite parts is being able to support students in those first stages as as a transitioning from for a lot of people. Um, doing dramatic arts for fun as something you do outside of school and then transitioning into approaching it as a career or people who have thought, oh, wouldn't that be great? They find they have a talent and now they're, they're learning what the whole skill set and the job actually entails. Um, and I, I think part of the reason I enjoy it is because I look back at my own life and I, I take a look at those moments where I really would have appreciated um, knowing certain things earlier. I mean, with, with, Stage combat, I was lucky to have good teachers pretty early on, and I think I'd like to, one of my efforts is to provide that same level of detail and engagement for people so early in their career that it it becomes just that thing that they do as part of the work they do. And it's also great for helping to, to set up the context of what is the work environment and what are our shifting relationships within the workspace, because we have different roles depending on the context that we're in. I think that bridges so well into why is this work important? You've kind of um, already told us a little bit about how it's important because, you know, there's this sense of, you know, what did, what did you wish you had going into this work or what do people need to think through thoughtfully as they go into this work? So can you tell us a little bit about the importance of this work and the impact it has? Yeah, I think the, the result is, um, is is several things but i think most importantly the result is great great shows for the audience to appreciate because the actors have a rapport among them they have their own practice that allows them to be really vulnerable and really courageous and then step away from that work maintaining their mental health and safety as well as their physical health and safety i know a lot of audiences have uh, reported to me or I've heard anecdotally, like through third parties, how much more comfortable they were watching a show, whether the the sex in it was consensual or not, but knowing that the actors had a practice that meant that they were totally cool with everything that was happening. And the audience can feel it, they can see it, uh, whether they understand what they're seeing or not, but they can, they can feel that difference when the actors are really on the same page with how is this scene going to go? What is the story that we're telling? So one of the importances is it's better, uh, better storytelling for the audience. It's better workspaces for the performers. It means that we're able to clarify what is the context of the work that we're doing, dive into vulnerability with that work and step back out of it, knowing that we can trust that our scene partner is on the same page as we are and that we can approach emotional vulnerability with greater uh, daring and like looking our fear in the face if, if it's a scene that is like, oh, this is really personally challenging, um, knowing that our partner is going to be there to support us, knowing that our partner has heard this is challenging for me. Great. We're going to work together to make sure it's supportive for both of us. And I'm going to do the same for you while we're there. In stage combat, we call it making your partner look good. The idea of supporting your partner with what their challenges are and working within those, those boundaries that we've consented to. Um, it means that we are, we're able to 
what's the word? It means that we are able to uh, approach challenges. It also means that we're able to really have fun with it. Like it doesn't always have to be challenging. Sometimes it's just really fun. And it becomes more fun the more we have that sense of trust. Because once we get, once we have more and more experiences of the fruits of being in that vulnerable space, there is a kind of excitement to vulnerability as opposed to vulnerability only ever being a terrifying challenge. Wow, I just had a, I just had a moment of remembering the first workshop I did that I attended as a student, as an actor. And there was a moment of a really, really simple exercise that was absolutely terrifying. And in two instances, I had like some of the best people in the world, in, in my opinion, um, as my scene partners. And they, I was really lucky that they were there because they were the kinds of people that could support me in this moment, knew that I was like just <laughs> losing my mind in terror, um, but they were able to support me afterwards. And so the next time I did it, I wasn't as terrified. It was vulnerable, but it wasn't as I wasn't as terrified and it means that now there's a bunch of stuff that I would be happy to do on stage that years ago I would just I would have just had an incredible like fight or flight response while doing it but now there's a kind of like mm, I wish your listeners could see me there's this kind of like delicious joy like you're I don't know jumping into a um a ball pit, but instead of hard plastic balls, they're all sort of like soft, fuzzy balls. So it has that like delightful bubbly contact, but with plush. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. I also wish everyone could see all of your like super expressive, as expressive facial expressions and, and all <laughs> of that. Um, okay, so I think this actually bridges really well into the topic of the word comfortable. Um, and, you know, I said the word comfortable a little while ago, and I've been trying not to use that as much in relation to the dramatic arts work, because I think that there's this really inherent discomfort around vulnerability. And I know that you um, have a lot to say about discomfort as a part of the artistic process. Yeah. So, yeah, we often talk about comfortable and I, I refrain from using that in my teaching unless I really do mean comfortable, because comfortable often denotes this sense of no challenge. And the work that we do as artists is not comfortable. Uh, Brene Brown talks about that discomfort of the first time. And every single rehearsal process I've ever been in has a moment of, I don't know what I'm doing, that extraordinary discomfort of the first time. Um, so it's, it's, what's actually so important in our artistic process is to, to know that there is discomfort and to know what your own tolerance for that is. To know where, have a, maybe you might not know, you're always gonna be, you may very well be surprised at what you're uncomfortable with at some point, but to know that once you're in discomfort, that discomfort will end, like you'll cycle through it. Um, and in that discomfort is where we learn things. Like we're, we're uncomfortable because we're doing something unfamiliar and we're creatives. So being in a space of not knowing is where the work happens, is where the, uh, the work is sometimes an overused term, um, where, the, where the creation and the new thing and the engaging thing happens. 
So I often talk about this idea of um, our workspace is not comfortable, but it is trusting. It is generous. And so our our sense of safety, as it were, which is also a word I, I try to refrain from using, um, is, or rather to redefine, actually, that's more accurate. Let's say that rather than safety, which so often means comfortable, no challenge, in our workplaces, we can define it as a place of safety being one where I can take challenge and I will be supportive. A place where that oscillation between comfort and discomfort is the norm. And when I do face something that is really challenging to me, maybe it's it's disturbing, maybe it's triggering, I know that I'm in a space where there are folks who will be uh, supportive of me oscillating back into a place of, of greater comfort or at least a uh, grounding. Um, uh, a generosity of spirit, um, tactfulness, uh, where I can communicate clearly and uh, folks can communicate clearly with me, knowing that our intent together is to put up this show. And we understand that part of that intention is this necessity of caring for each other while we explore this, uh, who knows who knows what will will really happen we have a script we have an idea of where we're going but we don't really know what the terrain is between here and where we're going to get to amazing and you talk a little bit about what does that look like for young actors to explore challenge and vulnerability and discomfort in a way that is safe in the way that you've redefined it Wow. Yeah. So it can be really, it can be a terrifying place for some people. It it depends a lot of like your, on your family of origin, what your friendships have been like, that kind of thing. So, but a lot of times in dramatic programs, because people are being asked to live lives that aren't their own, they're, they're being asked as in like when you're uh, inhabiting a character to maybe, um, tell the story physically of something that you haven't done before to really put yourself in someone else's shoes and to, um, to really be seen, to be seen uncensored. Uh, my, my vocal coach, um, really gave me space to explore this idea. Uh, when we sing, sometimes we try to craft what that sound is coming out. We try to hear it before anybody else does, but you don't progress that way. You have a lot of tension. Your instrument doesn't work right. And one of the one of the things I discovered in learning how to sing was that sometimes you just have to let it out and what comes out comes out. And that's kind of the process that a young actor is going through is we're so we're so young when we're in college. And I don't mean that to insult anybody at all. But I, what I mean is that we are so we're still coming into our own in a lot of ways for a lot of people. So at the same time as you're exploring who you are and who, what your self-expression is while you're stepping into the world in a new way, you're also looking to explore this totally new skill set that you probably haven't been asked to explore before. And you're being asked to really dive deep into a lot of things that are um, perhaps in some ways a foreign concept. So for the student, what this can look like is a lot of unknowns. It can look like a lot of not being sure what's being asked it can because you're like oh this is vulnerable there can be a sense of well i don't want to be vulnerable until i know where i'm going especially in the context where one is being evaluated so if there's grading happening and not being sure like well how do i get that grade 
so it also looks like needing clarity as to, well, if I try something, is that going to, is that going to ruin my grade? And thankfully, most programs out there are not doing the thing where you have to be asked back to the next year. Um, there are advantages and disadvantages to it, but I think one of the advantages that we're seeing of uh, um, asking people into your program that you intend to have in your program until graduating day is that there isn't a there is less pressure on a daily achievement and so there's more space to um, uh, to fail as it were to try something and for it to not work that is actually the job as an actor and as a creative you're doing a lot of experimenting. It's a lot closer to science where we say, well, I know this thing and I don't know this thing. So let's try this thing and see what happens. We spend a lot of time, like if we talk about consent for a moment, in our, in our social world, we have our enthusiastic yes and everything else is a no. In our art world, we have our enthusiastic yes on one end. We have our absolute no on the other end. And we actually spend a lot of time in the middle, which is what I call the brave yes which is that whole space of like, I am not sure. So I'm going to try it and we'll see what happens and we'll discover if it is a yes or a no. But we actually need to spend a lot of time in that, in that space of unknown. So if it was a traffic light with our absolute, with our enthusiastic yes being green, our absolute no's being red, and then you can guess that the part in the middle is the amber light. We spend a lot of time in amber lights. In fact, that's, that'd be a good company name for something. Anyway, um, we spend a lot of time in that amber light area where we are just trying to see if it works. So again, for a student, that can be additionally challenging because there's no, it feels like there's no metric as to have I succeeded or not? Have I become an actor today or not? Have I learned something today or not? Because sometimes you're like, I don't even know if I learned anything today. So there's a lot of there's a lot of discomfort because you don't know where that's gone. So I mean, what that means for a program is ideally there there's clarity on like the success in this moment is having tried it. The success in this moment is having learned uh, what the experimenting is. Is uh, success is having been vulnerable and tried out yet again that cycle of let's pick this let's pick something to try we're going to try it what have i learned what do i keep from that what do i try again another day or what do i say this doesn't work for this process and sometimes success is really just having tried that sometimes success is having tried something it going really poorly or like being a complete like like just nothing feel, feels like nothing happened and understanding that that is part of the creative process and your development as an artist includes being able to see ahead a little bit more as to that's probably going to be a great idea. That's probably going to be a terrible idea. This, we have no idea. So maybe that's the choice I should make. Um, so that's as you like develop as an artist, but for the student, it does look like a lot of, a lot of unknowns, which is where uh, sp uh, specificity and clarity and guidance from faculty can really help us to um, support the diving into that vulnerability because that's where the learning happens and that's where the the craft develops. I love that and I love the phrase the brave yes and if we could go back to that for just a second because sure. I was hoping to talk a little bit about one of the things I really loved from your intimacy workshop I got to sit in on one 
Um, I think like two years ago at this point, it was awesome. It was so much stuff I never would have thought of, which was super cool. Um, but I feel like the thing that a lot of people know, okay, even I if have to not- stop you for a sec. Cause that's so exciting for me that because in your profession, every once in a while, I sort of go, Oh, I'm, I'm repeating stuff that all these like mental health folks know that sexual health people know. And it's so exciting for me to, to listen to and watch the cross pollination of our specialties. Yes. Well, I feel like it's because, you know, we spend so much time thinking about the ways that this applies to just like the sex people have in their personal lives or, you know, the consent as it plays out on all of these different contexts, but not in the dramatic arts context. And so there was just so much, you know, that I thought about that, you know, I wouldn't have thought about unless I sat in on that. And so that was amazing. I feel like a lot of people know about uh, improv and the concept of yes and, but one Mm. of the things I really loved that you talked about was, was it no, however? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about no, however, because I just sure. love that. <laughs> so yeah, when we think about improv, when we think about like theater and acting, we often think about the yes and part of it, which is someone makes an offer and you have to go with it. Um, and we often, that's often taught early in improv because of this personal censoring, because when people are coming into um, an acting class, there's often a transition between the how I am supposed to behave in the social world and what can feel like taboo when you're stepping into an acting world. So learning to just pick up the ball and run with it, as it were, uh, learning what yes and is, is a really important step. And then the next step, though, is to learn that I'm allowed to say no if you're like that that uh, was tactless or tasteless uh, or that crosses a boundary for me. I'm allowed to say no, but I still have to make another offer when it comes to like an improv context. So we can say, well, not that way, but what if we shift it slightly so that um, when I apply it to intimacy, one of the reasons... I mean, it's shifting now, but certainly years ago when I first really engaged in this work for the first time, one of the deep, deep resistances people had was, I can't say no. I have to give. I have to give. I, um, I will be a bad actor. I will be a bad person. I will be labeled as difficult. I won't be asked back if I say no. But the reminder that sometimes no looks like an adjustment. Sometimes no looks like a counteroffer. It's a bit like negotiating. It's like, well, where do we want to get to? So the idea of no, however, is that I can refuse this precise offer, but I can adjust it or I can make a counteroffer. So where it expresses itself in our workplace conversation about consent is that maybe my partner makes an offer of choreography like when we kiss they want to put their hand on the back of my neck and for me I'm like that's not going to work for me um and you never need to explain it uh but just know that if it's like if it's like that's going to trigger me let's not do that if it's like I don't think my character would do that I think that's like I think it looks hokey or I think it looks cheesy actually I don't know if hokey is a term I can use I should look that up um if that looks, I think it's going to look bad. Sometimes that's the one where you need to say, well, it's not going to harm me. Let's see what the director thinks from the outside. So just further context as to um, the application of no, however. Um, so, but what that might look like in the practice of choreography, my partner offers a hand on the back of the neck. For me, maybe that's triggering. I don't have to tell anybody. But what I can say is, well, how about your hand on the on my lower back or maybe on the back of my head up at the top here? Like maybe that's also like running your fingers through my hair. Maybe that's accessible for me. So it allows us to continue forward 
without feeling like we have to stop and say, well, no, that's not possible. It's not necessarily my responsibility to come up with something, especially like if it's, if it's triggered something for me, I'm like, oh, I can't necessarily have a conversation right now, but I can go as far as to say, that's not going to work for me. Anybody can offer another, another suggestion. Um, And so what this allows us to do is continue the momentum of creativity forwards while respecting boundaries. And I like to frame it in this idea of how exciting is it that we have continued to, to take a look at what are the boundaries? Um, we, how, how exciting that we've gone from, well, I think this is in our yes zone. It's been in our brave yes. We haven't been too sure. Oh, we've discovered that that's actually a boundary. How exciting for us to, to figure out that detail, like allowing ourselves to nerd out on the excitement of getting to know each other more, learning how to support each other. The more we understand and, and practice, um, where those edges are, where the edges of the yes space are, the more we know we can run around in that yes space. It's kind of like being in a bouncy castle where you're like, oh, how how much can I run into these walls? You sort of like press on them a little bit. And as it's confirmed, no, that is that is a boundary that we can work with. Then you can like run around inside that bouncy castle and uh, have a really good time with it because you know where those edges are as opposed to kind of walking around uh, unsure of of what space is available to you. I feel like this conversation is just making me want to go to like a Burger King playground. And that is a really wonderful and delightful energy, I think, for today on this Thursday morning. Um, Can you tell us a bit about like, let's just imagine that you have a scene that you're working on. What does it look like for you to do that directing? Cool. So the first thing that we do is, well, before I get there, I read the scene. And I make some notes on it, like what are some of the story that it suggests to me? What do I know about the characters from what's in the script? Uh, I have a conversation with the director. Uh, what is what is the the vision for this scene? In an educational context, I might ask, like, what is what are you hoping to explore in this scene? So that I understand, is it to challenge the actors with choreography they've never done before, or is it to support the emotional arc of the characters. So all that's really important is some moment of connection so that we can continue with the text. So I get a bit of context as to what's going on. Um, Sometimes uh, if it so happens that I am arriving in class in time to do that, arriving at a rehearsal in time to do that, it might be just like, give me your, give me your two priorities and then we'll work on that. Once we are in space together, uh, I facilitate a conversation about, uh, about consent, about parameters and boundaries. Um, and so I use those words, I use all three of those words because I think they have three distinct meanings that help us out a lot. We talk about the boundaries as in what are the edges? What's that edge between the no and the yes space? A lot of people think about boundaries and they just think about all the no it defines, but I like to, th- I like to encourage us to remember that our boundary is actually the edge of our yes space. And that yes space we can call parameters. Those are parameters that we've set. So like boundary feels like the outline, parameter feels like the area that's colored in in the middle, that's the yes space. And then we consent to that agreement. So the first thing that we do is facilitate a conversation of consent around our boundaries and parameters that we know like what we're working with. Um, I ask the actors, what what do they know about their characters? What sort of feels like um, the intent of the scene? What's the intensity of it? What's the tone? Um, And hopefully I've had a chance to like give people a, uh, a little list of things that they should learn or study ahead of time. 
Um, I might ask the director those same things like, and also what experience is the audience supposed to have here? Should they be titillated? Should they be feared? Should they be disgusted? Um, should they be laughing? Should they, should it be a laughter of recognition? Oh, I remember when that was me. Um, or, oh, wow, I'm on a date right now. I wonder if that'll be me later. Um, what is our audience supposed to feel? Once we get a sense of that, so we're all on the same page as to what the story of the moment is, then we can uh, make some offers of choreography. Maybe this will work, maybe this will work. Um, if it's a longer, more complex scene, I'll often, um, I'll often jump right to the pinnacle of the moment so that we have a sense of where we're building to. That often helps actors feel that little bit uh, safer, and I do mean safe. Um, and sometimes that helps them to be braver because they know where we're going to. There isn't that sense of if I consent to this, is that going to imply this? Is that going to imply this? Will be there be disappointment the moment I say no because I've been consenting this whole time? So it helps to set that parameter of like, this is where we're going to. Here's the pinnacle moment we're aiming for. Again, so workplace safety, it increases as well as artistically helps us all to know where we're going. Um, so we'll lay out some ideas for choreography. We will confirm consent again or make some adjustments. Like if someone's not entirely sure, uh, or they're feeling a bit of like, oh, this is brave, yes, but towards the I really, I'm really leaning towards no moment, that's an opportunity to say, well, what kind of discomfort is it? Is it... Um, this is really new for you, so it's very it's it's challenging in that way. Um, is it um, uh, is it that you and your partner haven't had had a chance to work together physically? So should we spend a little bit more time just confirming what the consent of this is? Do you want to have a little bit more detail as to what are the contact points here? Do you need some more detail on timing? Are you unclear as to anything in the choreography? Sometimes clarifying the choreography will help, especially if it's someone's first time working. Uh, with intimacy. There may also be some questions about why well, I, I don't know what this process looks like. So we might even take a moment to say, oh, okay, so we're going to try this choreography, like without any acting, just kind of doing the movement of it. Um, kind of like in ballet class where you walk around and kind of use your hands instead of your legs. Um, so we're going to sort of walk through what the choreography is, make sure we're all on the same page, and then we'll try it with some acting so that we're dealing with one thing at a time. We're sort of dealing with one set of feelings at a time. The body can, the body has a little bit of a capacity for how much newness it can handle in a moment, how much energy, how many spoons that eats up in a moment. So I like to try to facilitate um, a slow walk into the waiting pool as opposed to just throwing people into the deep end until they're like, yes, give me the deep end. Then, yeah, then dive in off the high board. Um, so we'll talk about choreography walk through it as pure movement so we're clear as to what that consent is after we sort of clarified any questions that there may be um give the actors an opportunity to uh to connect before we begin it's part of a process that we call bracketing or tagging in and tagging out something that helps to define the moment that we transition from we are craftspeople talking about the work to the moment where the actors are the art itself where they transition from being themselves into being in the mindset and perspective of their character. The clarity of this helps us to define like, what have we consented to in these moments? What is our relationship to each other? What conversations are we probably gonna have? Once we're in character, we're living in the world of the play. And so our power dynamics, our conversation is dictated 
by the circumstances of the play. Once we're done, we tag out. We we do that same action, whatever it is, to define the end of the character life in that moment so that those imaginary circumstances sort of live in their own context. And then we come back to the crafting, where again, we are peers, we are talking about what happened in the scene. Um, we are evaluating the work that we did from an, uh, with the idea of, well, what is the audience perspective? Does this fulfill the ends that we, um, that we intend so that the audience is telling a story and that it's sustainable for the actors. So we check in afterwards saying, is this doing what we wanted it to do? Is it sustainable for each person involved? Um, and depending on the, on the type of scene, we might even check in with the room after, especially after we've done it several times and going, does anybody need a break? Like, are we, are we cool to continue or, or have we all like used up our spoons for, for this scene today? And that's the thing. The first time you do a scene, especially in, in a, a theater setting, the first time you do it, it's not going to be perfect in, in any setting. But in theater, we've got more time to polish it. So the first time is not necessarily going to feel great. It, um, insofar as there may be a lot of questions afterwards. It may not be perfectly telling the story, but it may be the beginning of the right context, of the, the, right, the right trajectory. So while that was sort of very lengthy, the short version of the steps is um, I do my background. I do my homework on what's the scene? What are we doing? I talk to the director. I talk to the actors. We all get on the same page or at least the same field with regard to what is that story. We make some offers for choreography. We make sure we walk through our boundaries and parameters for consent again. We try it out as pure movement. We might do that a couple of times. We answer any questions along the way. And then at a certain point, you'll have more questions, but it is time to try it in context because the context of the characters will add more information and may clarify a lot of things. So then we try it in character, making sure we tag in and tag out and then wash, rinse, repeat, where we talk about what we did, talk about what we'd like to try, tag in, try it, tag out, reassess, and then take a break when we need it because that, in, that continual stepping into vulnerability, stepping out of vulnerability can be, can be really tiring. But that tagging in and tagging out really helps us, really helps the brain to go, it's vulnerable time, it's closed time, as it were, so that we know when the imaginary circumstances expire as it were. And what I mean by imaginary circumstances, for anyone who's listening and doesn't know, one of the definitions of acting is living truthfully in imaginary situations. So the actors are feeling real things. Your heart rate may increase. You may sweat. You're going to smell each other. There may be vascular reactions throughout the body that we associate with sexual arousal. It doesn't mean that it's a better or worse scene. It doesn't mean that someone's trying to be a predator. It just means that your whole system is having a genuine response in this imaginary context, which then expires when we're done acting, when that imaginary context no longer exists. That is so helpful to just have that, that view of it. And I think one of the things that's really important is the idea that when you close out that space, then the consent rules change. Yeah. Yes, I consented to you touching the back of my neck in the scene. Now we're not in the scene anymore. And I don't want you to touch the back of my neck when we leave the classroom. 
Right, because we're not we're not in that relationship. We are we are classmates. We are work colleagues, and it's important for us to maintain the clarity as to um, what is our relationship. Now, some people are huggers, some people are touchy feely, but some people are not, and some people only have the spoons and the energy for that amount of physical contact when they have prepared for it, when they are in the workspace, and. It's important to recognize that even though you may look at an actor, you may look at their work and go, oh, they're one of those touchy-feely actors. It may just be that their characters live in that way and that actor prepares themselves for that physical, emotional, and mental context. And then in their own time and space, they're like, I am not a toucher. I'm not a hugger. I, I express my affection through words. I express my affection through gifts, through a third, through a third party object that I hand off to you. I don't actually want to touch you at all, but this object carries my love for you. So, you know, we get, we get this impression. It's interesting because I think I'm actually saying this for the first time in this interview. Um, We get this impression that actors are all touchy feely people, Uh, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, Some people, it is part of their jobs and it's very different from their, from their personal expression. So that is part one of our chat with Siobhan. Check out part two up soon. You can learn more about Siobhan's work at SiobhanRichardson.com. We'll put that in the episode description for you. If you need support and you're a member of our U Windsor campus community, remember that you can talk to Dusty. You can get in touch with her by email at svsupport at uwindsor.ca or you can check out a whole bunch more resources in Windsor on our website, uwindsor.ca slash sexual assault. If you're not in Windsor, check out the Ontario Coalition of Rape Crisis Centers. Their website is sexualassaultsupport.ca. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to like and subscribe and check out part two.